Hey friends, Pastor Cliff Purcell here. I hope you're enjoying the lessons from First Naz podcast and especially the Strong Life series. More than enjoying them, I hope you are seeing real changes in your life as you're putting to practice the things you learn each week. In just a moment, you'll hear the third lesson in the series titled Three Wishes. As I was teaching this lesson at First Naz, we had a power outage that ended our ability to record it live. Rather than trying to take up where the power outage had left off and try to patch two recordings together, I'm going to take another attempt at teaching the lesson from its beginning. But I'm recording in a different environment, so it won't sound at all the same as the podcast usually does, recorded live at First Naz. You can probably hear the traffic in the background, even while I'm talking now. The real message, however, will be the same. I hope God uses it in your life, and I hope you'll make the decision today to make all three wishes. For the past two Sundays, we've been studying how to build a strong life. In the first week, we looked at the very real need for a solid foundation. Strong lives are always built on strong foundations. And in week two, we considered the fact that the best foundation in the world still is nothing more than a chunk of rock if you don't do the hard work of building something on it. If you want to have a strong life in any way, you will have to build one. And any building plan that's actually going to produce a strong life must feature a way of getting necessary nourishment, performing challenging exercises, and getting sufficient rest. If you'd like to learn more about those things, <clears throat> listen to the lessons from First NAS podcast on the media page of firstnas.com. And while I'm on the subject of the podcast, let me ask you to do something. Go check out the podcast this week and send the link to a friend or two of yours that you think might be interested in the subject of building a strong life. Without us giving any concerted effort to expanding our listenership, for each of the past two months, we've had about 650 people listen to it. So get this, First Naz, for the $25 a month that it costs us to host it, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are hearing the life-changing message of relationship with God. Thank you for venturing that direction with me. And in this day of social media, this church has an opportunity like never before in its history to reach thousands with only a few minutes of work today. So here's what I would ask. If you haven't liked or followed our church on Facebook yet, do it. Just look for Lewiston First Church of the Nazarene. And each week when we announce that the new episode of the podcast is up, share that announcement in your feed. Tweet it if you're a Twitter user, whichever social media outlets you use, make sure we've got a presence there. We can reach more people with the message of God's love without inventing another ministry. We can just do more with what we're already doing. Can you help us with that? I know you can. Thank you. In your experience of living as a follower of Jesus, does it ever feel like a struggle or sometimes like a flat-out war inside of you? When you face temptation, does it feel like there's a part of you that very much wants to do the right thing and part of you that very much wants to give in to the temptation? I've experienced that too many times to count. If so, today and next week I'll be teaching about what in the world is happening to you and how you can build the strength that will win you a victory over temptation on a pretty consistent basis. I want to show you some things that you may not yet understand about yourself and then show you how God wants to help you deal with those things. The Bible paints this picture of the human race. It teaches that we were created by God with a purpose, to live in healthy, holy relationship with Him. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? You and God, tight? It also teaches that at some point early on in that relationship, humans decided to try to do life on their own terms and rebelled against the authority of God. Now, what's interesting about that is the effect of that rebellion. 
Instead of it freeing the human race in the way that the American colonies' rebellion freed them from England's rule, it broke something, damaged something in them that subsequently has been passed down to the whole human race. Humans, you see, have three basic components. Each of us is made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the rebellion of our race against the God who made us caused some wreckage in each of our components. Our bodies became susceptible to disease and death. Our souls, which also have three parts, mind, emotions, and will, were also damaged. We often can't think clearly and sometimes struggle with dark thoughts. Our emotions go haywire regularly. I mean, have you ever felt mad or sad and didn't know why? Yeah. And our will has sort of gone bipolar. We either have a very weak will when we're facing temptation or we get really strong-willed or stubborn when it comes to relationships with people we love and those who have authority over us. We're kind of a hot mess here, people. But it was the damage to our spirit that was the most devastating. In his letter that explains much of this to the church he pastored in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul put it this way, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He paints the picture of a human race that has the universal behavior pattern of disobeying God pretty much whenever we feel like it would be gratifying to do so, and that our thoughts are deeply affected too. But did you see what he said at the very beginning? He was talking about the human spirit, one of the components of our very humanity. He said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The toll of the human race's rebellion against God is bodies that are subject to disease and death, souls that are confused, darkened, and weak, and a dead lump where the beautiful, thriving human spirit was supposed to live, and that's the condition in which all human beings are born. Now think about that for a minute. We're humans, and that means we're supposed to have three components to our lives that bring balance to one another, body, soul, spirit. The first, our bodies, are the part of us that intersects with the physical world around us, and that part of us has been damaged so that it desires some things that can bring disease or death. Think about chemical addictions, for example. The spirit is the part of us that was designed to have unbroken fellowship with God, and that part of us lies dead within us, so it can't exert any upward pull. As a result, the soul, the part that considers input from the body and spirit, and then makes decisions about how to live, is virtually doomed to make bad decisions. Have you experienced any time in your life that felt like you were practically powerless over some temptation that you knew was unhealthy and unholy? It's because of the fallen human condition. Distorted bodily desires, a damaged decision-making mechanism, and silence where there should have been some internal voice for what is good and healthy and right. If you've ever felt like that, you're not alone. This is the human condition, and it's a problem. In fact, it is exactly the problem that was Jesus' motivation to come to this world of ours and to live among us. Now, whatever you may think of people who have claimed to be mystics or prophets, a number of ancient prophets whose writings we still have foretold the coming of a person who would be what I like to call the grand fixer. 
These prophets were Hebrew people, and their language's word for the grand fixer is Messiah. When church people called Jesus the Messiah, that's what we mean. One who came to start straightening out the mess that our world and each of us has become as a result of the human problem. The Church of Jesus, unfortunately, isn't perfect. So we've not done a perfect job of communicating the full message of the good news, in my opinion. We've preached only a sliver of the message of Jesus. We preach the forgiveness part of the message almost exclusively, and so we tend to think of God and Jesus and our relationship with them only in terms of morality, doing right or doing wrong, sinning or somehow managing not to. And our relationship with God then only goes so far as repeated requests for forgiveness when our broken deciders have acted on the input of our damaged bodies and its desires alone. As the grand fixer, however, Jesus didn't come just to bring forgiveness. John quoted Jesus as saying this, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now, whatever else it may be, doesn't that sound like a strong life to you? When the grand fixer of God himself says, I have come to give them life to the full, doesn't that sound like a life that is characterized by strength? Whatever else I may have wanted at different points in my life, I'll tell you what I want these days. I want that life that Jesus described as life to the full. Don't you? Then let me tell you what it takes to get that strong, abundant, full life. It takes three wishes. A life wish, a death wish, and a transformation wish. The first, a life wish, really is as simple as a wish. It comes as a free gift from God and can be had by simply asking God for it. I'm talking about life for your dead spirit. Remember the human condition? Body diseased and dying, soul damaged and darkened, spirit dead within you. If you want to ever have a strong life, it will begin with God resuscitating your dead human spirit. Remember the passage I read a few minutes ago in which Paul talked about our spirits being dead within us because of our sins? That's bad news. But listen to what he had to say immediately following. He said, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Did you get that? After Jesus had been crucified, God resurrected him from the dead. That miracle holds the key to an absolutely life-altering miracle for every single human being that will make the daring decision to believe that it really happened. Paul said that when God resurrected Jesus from the dead, he was also resurrecting our human spirits, restoring them to life. He also said God did it for free. We don't have to earn it. But that miracle of a spirit that is reborn within us is available to every person who gets connected or united with Jesus by placing their faith in him. If you have a life wish today, your wish can come true. God stands ready to do that for you. All you have to do is tell him about your wish. But I mentioned earlier that in order to get this full life that Jesus came to give you, you also have to have a death wish and a transformation wish. And where the life wish is as simple as praying a prayer, 
making a wish to God, the death wish and transformation wish are really more like projects. Let me explain. When you decide to connect your life with Jesus, God will make your spirit alive within you. But that makes a really strange pairing with a body that has some really twisted, damaged, and now sinful desires. Some of you asked God years ago to give life to your spirits, and He did, because He always does that for everyone who asks. But you've had an internal war on your hands ever since, because you didn't couple that life wish with a death wish. Let me show you from Scripture what I mean. In a letter to a neighboring church, to the one I referenced earlier, the early Christian teacher Paul wrote this, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That passage is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now get this, because it's powerful. When you pray that prayer for God to give life to your spirit, He does it and starts a magical, life-giving relationship between you and Jesus. One early result of that, Paul said, is that you somehow get linked to Jesus in His resurrection, and your spirit comes to life within you. Then here, Paul teaches us that we also need a death wish. We have to start desiring to be connected with Jesus, not only in his resurrection, but also in his crucifixion. In other words, we have to take an honest look at the desires of our lower nature, our flesh, and realize that they're dragging us down. And we have to begin the project of putting those things to death. Now let me just be Captain Obvious for a minute, okay? You know how throwing gasoline on fire never puts it out? In the same way, indulging the sinful desires of your corrupted flesh won't help you any in your struggle against it. If you want that full, abundant life that Jesus offers, you have to pair your life wish with a death wish. Do you know why most people who pray the life wish prayer continue to live lifestyles that look not much different than the way they were living before they prayed that prayer? It's because they still love their sin and the desires of the flesh, and they're working to keep that stuff alive on the inside and in secret. As long as you continue to love sin, but then try not to do it much, your heart is going to be an absolute war zone, and you will feel like a hypocrite and a spiritual loser, and you'll feel distant from God. You'll run to Him occasionally to ask forgiveness, but you won't commune closely with Him because you won't feel comfortable in His presence. And when that drives you to withdraw from God a little, your flesh will start roaring about its desires, and you'll give in, and the whole cycle will start over. Does any of that sound familiar? If it does, you need to pray a death wish prayer like this. Father, teach me to hate my sin and my sinful desires and help me to crucify them. And so the project will begin. What I mean by project is that God all by himself will do the miracle of breathing life into your spirit and does that in an instant. But the business of crucifying your lower nature, well, that's a team project between God, you, and a close group of Christian friends. Do I need to give the pitch for First Nas Connection Groups here? Or do you see what I'm driving at? 
In a letter to another church in the region, Paul put it this way, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He wrote that to the Galatian churches, uh, chapter 5, verse 24. Between the letters to these three churches, Paul tells us that God fulfills the life wish that we pray and that you and I are at least partly responsible for fulfilling the death wish prayer. Let me just make this as plain as I know how. The followers of Jesus don't just pray for forgiveness. We also work to put to death our own sin. To a far distant church in Rome, Paul put it this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Romans eight twelve through 13 death wish. It means we have to lay down our excuses and get our war on. Next week, we'll talk about how to get God's help in the war department. But if you want to build a strong life, you need a life wish, a death wish, and a transformation wish. Something has to come to life in you. Something has to be put to death in you. And something has to change in you. The transformation slash change part is about your soul mind, emotions, and will, your thinker, feeler, and decider. It's more of a project than an instantaneous gift, too. Listen to how Paul described it to that church in Rome. He said, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Paul was trying to communicate. If you keep making decisions in the same way as you did before you invited God to invade your life, you're going to be one confused human being. You won't even be able to tell, really, what God wants you to do. So, once you have invited Him to breathe life into your spirit and have begun to put to death the desires and acts of your sinful nature, you also have to reshape your decision-making process. Instead of thinking about life the way you used to, you start renewing your mind by reading the Bible so you can learn how God thinks about life. You start correcting yourself when you catch yourself thinking in the old ways, and over time, your mind and will form new habits. As a result, your behavioral habits will change, and get this, your body, soul, and spirit will live in harmony and peace with one another. Doesn't that sound good? When your body, soul, and spirit are at peace with one another, strength will begin to rise up within you. It'll have to be trained some by spiritual exercise like we talked about last week, but strength will rise within you and grow. So where are you in this process today? Some of you may be at the place that you realize that you've never asked God to resuscitate your spirit, and that sort of explains the void that you have felt for so long. Today, you can pray that life wish prayer, and God will grant it. I'll help you with that in a moment. Some of you may have prayed, prayed that prayer years ago, but life has been continual war since then, with you indulging your sinful desires, hating yourself for it, begging God to forgive you, and wondering why you can't find the peace that other Christians talk about. Today, you need to start praying the death wish prayer. I'll help you with that in a moment, too.
Next week, I'll share with you the final key to unlocking and building a strong, powerful life. I'm really excited about that and wish that I had the time to teach you about it today, but I don't. But we have enough truth in front of us to deal with today, don't we? If you want to make one of those wishes, life wish, death wish, or transformation wish, let's pray about it together. Father, we need your help. Today we have realized where we are on this spiritual journey of connecting with you and trying to build strong lives. Some of us find ourselves really at the beginning of that journey today. We've come to realize that despite all of our best efforts to change ourselves, all of our willpower, the truth is that we're dead on the inside. So we're just going to own up to the fact that we have blown it and we're going to confess that we need your help and we're going to invite you to come in and breathe your life into us. We need to be born again and we invite you to do that today by bringing our spirits to life within us. Some of us, Lord, prayed that prayer a long time ago, but the truth is we've kind of been loving our sin We've been hiding it or tending to it on the side, but we really haven't been trying to put it to death. Today, Lord, we'll just own up to that. We'll also own up to the fact that we need your help. Would you give us the strength and the desire to put to death the desires of our lower earthly nature? Would you teach us to hate our sin and to hate it enough to kill it? And some of us, Lord, are just at the place today where it's time for a real transformation to take place. And we're going to have to learn to think very differently about life than we used to. We're going to have to quit accepting the lies that the world around us and our flesh tells us. We need you to completely renovate our minds. Transform us, Lord, by teaching us to think as you do about life. Lord, for each of my friends who prayed any or all of those prayers today, I pray you'd press in really close, close enough that they can feel your presence, that they can feel you helping, that they can feel you answering those prayers. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.